So, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and teach us from Scripture how to know Jesus better. We pray this in his name. Amen. I want to welcome those of you who are watching this on the podcast or in the community center. It is great to have you with us. How would you complete the following sentence? Jesus bled and died on a cross so that... I was going to have you discuss that with your neighbor, but I hate it when pastors make me do that in church, so you're off the hook. You can just think about it. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that... You could complete that sentence a lot of different ways. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that we would be reconciled to God. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that we would be reconciled to each other, so that his kingdom would advance. There are a number of ways you could complete that sentence. Keep that in mind as I tell you the following story. A while back there was a newspaper article about a church that uh, got in a fight over whether or not to have Christmas banners inside the church. And one group said, no, it distracts from worship, so they took the banners and threw them in the trash can. And then another group said, no, they're just fine. They pulled the banners out of the trash can. They ended up in a shouting match that got so intense they are now suing each other over Christmas banners. Now let's go back to that sentence I started with. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that we would have Christmas banners in church. That sentence doesn't work, does it? Doesn't work the other way around either. Do you ever find yourself getting upset over stuff that doesn't matter? Do you ever find yourself focused on stuff that is not of primary importance and kind of getting yourself worked up over it because you're focused on the wrong thing? My wife was on Jeopardy last fall. And in order to prepare, she read all kinds of trivia books. And all summer she'd walk around the house saying things to me like, Did you know that more people are killed by donkeys than in airplane crashes? true. Did you know that a horse can't vomit? Also true. Did you know that a can of spam is opened every four seconds? Though God knows why. (laughs) Well, when she got to the tryout and then on the show itself, none of those things were on the board. Instead, she got categories like explosives and mixed drinks. Okay, mixed drinks. She is a pastor's wife. She's in trouble if she gets mixed drinks wrong. She's in trouble if she gets it right. Needless to say, we will not be retiring on her earnings. She focused on the wrong things. Do you ever do that in life? And when we do, the result is usually we get stressed out, angry, and miserable. I think of how upset I can get when someone is driving slowly in the left-hand lane. I mean, it drives me crazy. And my wife will say, calm down, calm down. You know what I do with that? I try to make it sound important. It's a justice issue. They're in the way of important people like me who have things to do. It's unjust. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that people would never drive slowly in the left-hand lane. (laughs) Sentence doesn't work, does it? And what's the result? I am stressed out, angry, miserable over something that I won't remember by days in, let alone a year from now. We're doing a sermon series on how the miracles of Jesus give us a taste, a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is all about. And so far we've seen that the kingdom of God is about justice for the poor, bringing outcast people into God's family, giving us intimacy with God, reconciliation with each other, and the restoration of our bodies. And that last one we see in this story where Jesus heals a paralyzed man. But in today's stories, we also get a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is not about. 
And you can see it in what I think is a very astonishing line. Jesus heals this paralyzed guy. The man picks up his mat and then walks, and then you get this line. Now, the day on which this happened was a Sabbath. Remember a couple weeks ago I said whenever it says that in the Bible, that's like the theme music in Jaws? Basically means he's in trouble now. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Anything weird about that sentence to you? Could you miss the point even more? Right? I mean, here's a guy, he's been healed, miraculously healed, and you're fussing about a mat? I mean, talk about majoring in the minor things of life. Now, the deal here is the fourth commandment says don't do any work on the Sabbath day. Right? But, but, but the religious leaders added over 600 man-made traditions to, kind of, to, to talk about what that supposedly meant. Including ridiculous things like you can't wash your dentures on the Sabbath, because that would be work. Honest, that was one of them. None of which was in the Bible. So they end up missing the main thing. And you see this, you know, they they miss the whole point of what Jesus was doing. Throughout the Bible, God says the point of Sabbath is for restoration. That's the point of Sabbath. So by healing this man, Jesus is enacting Sabbath at its deepest level. But because they are so fussy, the religious leaders miss the miracle. And it's the same in the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus is in their house. And while Martha is busy in the kitchen cooking and cleaning, her sister Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. And Martha gets upset and says, Jesus, make her help. And then Jesus says, oh, Martha, Martha. Who knows why he said her name twice? Probably because she wouldn't stop talking, right? Martha, Martha. You are upset about many things. Well, there's a statement. But only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen what is better. Now, my wife hates this story. Now, how many of you think that Martha has a point and Mary should get off her keister and do a little help, right? All right, yes. All well and good for Mary to sit at Jesus' feet, but someone has to cook the dinner, right? But the issue here isn't that Martha was doing something wrong. She wasn't. She was doing a good thing. She was serving others, as Jesus says to do. And she was providing hospitality, which in that culture was a very important value. But in doing that, she focused on the smaller thing, the dinner, and completely missed the bigger thing, which was Jesus was in her house. God himself in human form. That is a big deal. And here's a chance to get closer to him and closer to her sister, and she misses it. You see, when we make secondary things primary things, we miss the kingdom of God. I think of married couples who fight over the smallest things. Where's the remote? The color of the carpet. And over time, they wreck their marriage. The kingdom of God is not about color of carpets. It is about whole and healthy marriages. I think of how I can get upset with my own kids over the smallest things that aren't character flaws, they're not major discipline issues, just the smallest things that maybe bug me, and I miss the bigger issue of what kind of people are they becoming, what's my relationship with them like. You know, churches are notorious for this kind of thing, fighting over theological issues that aren't really spelled out in Scripture. You know, should we sprinkle or dunk when you baptize? We sprinkle today, but you can dunk, it's fine. What kind of music should we play? This kind, that kind. And they end up missing the bigger adventure of being part of the kingdom of God. And instead of church being a place that refreshes and encourages, they end up getting angry and stressed out over stuff that's not clearly in Scripture. I'm so glad we don't do that here. I'm just so glad we don't. What was that laugh about? (laughs) 
Mostly we don't. Now, I am not saying that there aren't some core theological things that we have to hang on to. There are the divinity of Christ, authority of Scripture, things like that. But to get angry and upset over stuff that is not clearly spelled out in Scripture, what a waste. Jesus didn't die on a cross so that we could baptize this way or that way or have this music or that music, right? What a waste when we do that. And we all do it. We're all prone to this. Last month I was in California visiting a friend and and I went to my former church on Sunday and I noticed that they had made some changes to the sanctuary. And I thought, hey, I have memories in this building. They can't change this. And in particular, there was a phone booth outside that church where I had a very powerful, life-changing encounter with God. And I told you that story long ago. Do you know what it is now? A broom closet. (laughs) And I thought, how dare they turn the sacred phone booth of Scott into a broom closet? An elder said to me, though, this week, well, at least it's still cleaning things out. And I had to remind myself that it wasn't the phone booth that changed my life. It was God. And I had just committed idolatry. And the process generated fear, discouragement, and depression. Now, there's nothing wrong with valuing memories and traditions. And there's nothing wrong with grieving them if they change. But if we hang on to them more than Jesus, we'll become angry and upset and miserable. A pastor named Tim Keller says that sin isn't just doing bad things. Sin is also making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a good thing, more than on God. Marriage is a good thing, but if we center our identity on our spouse, over time we'll become possessive and jealous. Money is a useful tool, but if you center your life on it, you'll be stressed out about losing it. If you center your life on a good cause, even a Christian cause, and you're focused more there than on Jesus, we can become judgmental and self-righteous. When we focus on anything other than relationship with Jesus and his kingdom in that order, we become miserable and our world shrinks down to the size of me and mine. And it's not just Christians that do this. This is a human problem. I heard about a family in Bellevue who is suing their next door neighbor because the neighbor planted a shrub six inches over the property line. Okay, to me, that is prison. When you are so upset over six inches that you go to court, you are not free. You are in a prison of fear and anger and frustration, and your world has shrunk down to a six-inch prison cell. Am I depressing you? Good. Because there's good news coming. And that is that Jesus can deliver us from the fussy demon. He's one of the lesser demons in the pantheon and demons, but still he can do a lot of damage, right? Anger and greed get all the lust, but the fuss demon can do a lot of damage to us. And Jesus can send him back to hell. So how do we cooperate with Jesus so we can stop fussing about stuff that doesn't matter and have more joy? Three things. First, we need kingdom perspective. And for me, a great way to get the perspective of what's really important here, that sentence that I started with, for me, is a very clarifying sentence. Jesus bled and died on a cross so that. When I'm upset about something, I just say, Jesus bled and died on a cross so that. And then complete that sentence with your fuss du jour. You know, whatever it is. And if that sentence doesn't work, you know you're upset about something that isn't the kingdom of God. So, Jesus bled and died on a cross so that no one would drive slowly in the left lane. That sentence doesn't work. As soon as I say it that way, it tells me I need to let that go. And as soon as I say it that way, it makes me want to let it go because I realize how small this issue really is. It gives me perspective. 
And I know that's a very easy example and some are more complicated and there are some things that maybe they're not quite the kingdom of God or Jesus maybe didn't bleed and die for them, but they're really important. And I'm not saying that, you know, this is to trivialize our concerns. Not at all. Our concerns are important. But are they of ultimate importance? We need to set them against the backdrop of the kingdom of God. How big are they really? Which brings me to the second thing. That is, we need to distinguish between primary and secondary. Martha's problem was that she turned the secondary into the primary. The primary thing was community and closeness with Jesus. And the dinner was meant to facilitate that. It was a means to the end, but Martha had turned it into the end goal. And she overdid it. You know, according to the customs back then, all she needed to show hospitality, all she needed was one item, one dish. That's all she needed. You know, in other words, just bring a casserole, Martha. That'll be good. Right? Or better yet, open a can of Spam. You know? Because what is the main thing? Closeness with Jesus, not the meal. And it is so easy to reverse primary and secondary, isn't it? I do it. We all do it. It's so easy. Take the story of the Christmas banners that I told you. You can see how that happens, right? It is important how we worship. Absolutely. Jesus bled down a cross so that we could worship him. Absolutely. And the music and the decorations can either help or hinder that. You bet they can. So that means that we should be really energized and upset about these little banner things. No. Because the banners are secondary, the worship is primary. Either way, it doesn't matter if it's not in Scripture. Let it go. Here's a wonderfully freeing phrase. So what? So what? In anything we're dealing with, ask the question, what's primary and what's secondary? And this is true in all of life. In all of life. Say, for instance, you have to make a decision about which job to take, this job or that job. Well, maybe Jesus didn't bleed and die on a cross so that... So we could have a particular job. Maybe not. But he did die for me. He did die for my family. He did die so that we could know him and be part of his rescue operation to this planet. And in that regard, the job matters very much. So which job will help those things best happen? What's primary? What's secondary? What are the things for which Jesus died? And how do I make a decision that best enhances those things? Now, how do I know in any given situation what, you know, what's primary, what's secondary? The same three things I always say. The Bible, prayer, and the Holy Spirit. The more familiar we are with the Bible, the more we know God's priorities. The more we pray, the more we learn to hear His voice. And the more we learn to recognize the nudges that come from the Holy Spirit, the more we'll know what God wants us to do. Scripture, prayer, Holy Spirit. Distinguish primary and secondary. And just a hint... From Jesus' perspective, the main thing always boils down to one word, relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. You see it at the end of the story where Jesus heals the paralyzed man. The man doesn't know Jesus' name, doesn't know him. So Jesus goes and finds him and says, stop sinning or something worse can happen to you. Now, Jesus does not mean that he is paralyzed as punishment for his sin. He does not mean that because four chapters later, Jesus emphatically denies that sickness is punishment for sin. What Jesus means is there are worse things than being paralyzed. Chief among them is not knowing your creator. So Jesus establishes a relationship with him because relationship is the main thing to God. Kingdom perspective, what's big, what's little, primary versus secondary, and the third way out of fussiness Focus on relationship with Jesus and his kingdom in that order. And the things you're upset about will start to seem small. 
Now, notice I said relationship with Jesus, not just head knowledge. That's important, but relationship. Because if we focus even on a good thing, let's say like caring for the poor, that is something for which Jesus died. But if we focus on that more than relationship with Jesus, it becomes an idol. But when we focus on relating to Jesus and what he's doing in the world in that order, the things we worry about shrink. A man I know in California may have to sell his home because of the economy. But what he really excites him in life is caring for the poor and helping folks out of poverty. And Jesus. That's where he's focused. And he has seen miracles. Kids who were in gangs getting A's and B's in school now. Families being pulled out of poverty through the help of the church. And he says he feels the power of Jesus almost every day in his life. And it gives him so much joy to be part of something that big. And he says, yeah, we might have to sell our house. And we're not too thrilled about that. But I experience Jesus daily, and I am part of changing lives for eternity. And that is so big, my house deal starts to seem smaller. So even though it's hard, I still have joy. Okay, that's free, don't you think? That is free. When you can lose your house and say, I've got joy, that is ultimate freedom. And it can never be taken away from you because it is focused on the things that never change. Jesus who's forever and his kingdom that is always advancing. I think that's what Jesus means when he says to Martha, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. When we focus on Jesus and the kingdom in that order, we have indestructible joy because it's grounded in things that can never be taken away. I have a friend who was a new pastor in a small church and the big deal in that church was the annual Christmas play. Whole church participated in it and they'd get animals and live animals and there'd be hay everywhere and goats and chickens and they had a Vietnamese pot-bellied pig. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And my friend was put in charge of it her, her first year there and, and there was a lot of pressure for it to be perfect. Well, on the evening of the performance, as the parents were all arriving, she got a call from the donkey owner that he'd driven the trailer into a ditch and probably couldn't get the donkey to the church. And this was a tragedy. Because every year there's this big thing about who would be Mary and get to ride on the donkey down the center aisle of the church and who would be Joseph and walk alongside. And that particular year, Mary and Joseph had to be drawn out of the hat and the two kids that were chosen were really excited about getting to ride on this donkey. I guess they didn't know that more people are killed by donkeys than airplane <laughs> crashes. And as my friend was talking to this frazzled donkey owner, she got another phone call from a mother in a homeless shelter whose daughter wanted to be in the play. But the mom got her dates mixed up and didn't have a car, so could my friend come and get the daughter? And my friend said, are you kidding? I mean, the show begins in 20 minutes, and somehow I've got to go get a donkey out of a ditch. Sorry, I can't. And my friend hung up. But the Holy Spirit just kept nagging her would not let it go. And my friend thought, you know, what is more important here? A flawless production or this little girl who is homeless and has nothing to look forward to this Christmas? So my friend called the mom back and said, listen, strap your daughter's angel's wings on her and have her in the parking lot. I'll drive by and you shove her in the car and we'll go off. Right? Now, for me, that would have been hard. All of those expectations, I'm being evaluated on how this play goes, that would have been a hard decision for me. Well, she picked up the girl, sped back to the church, and when she got there, she saw a trailer pulling up with a gray, shaggy donkey inside of it. And the owner said, well, someone found us and got us out of the ditch. The play started 15 minutes late, but nobody cared except for maybe the chicken that kept running off the stage. Well, the next week, my friend got a call from the mom, whose daughter she picked up at the homeless shelter. And the mom said, I just want to thank you for picking my daughter up at the last minute. 
You see, Marissa is the oldest of three children, and I'm a single mom, and it's all I can do to hold the other two kids in my lap at the same time. And Marissa has always been jealous that there was never room for her in my lap. But ever since the play, she prays before she goes to bed every night, and she is talking to Jesus like he is her personal friend. And now she tells me that it's okay that I hold the younger two because it's Jesus who's holding her now, and she's going to be all right. And my friend started to cry, and she realized that three weeks earlier she had brought presents to that same homeless shelter, but that the present that she had just received was better than any gift she'd ever been given. Jesus didn't die on a cross for a Christmas play, but he did die on a cross for that little girl. And the play mattered only insofar as it was a means to get that little girl to Jesus. And because my friend focused on Jesus and his kingdom, not on secondary stuff, and responded to the Holy Spirit nudging, there is a little girl who knows Jesus and no longer feels unloved, and my friend was freed from the prison of being upset about something that is secondary. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus and his kingdom. Justice for the poor, reconciliation, intimacy with God, restoring our bodies and the power to live the eternal kind of life right here, right now. So what are you focused on that does not well complete the sentence, Jesus bled and died on a cross so that? And this week, in your job, in your relationships, wherever you are, will you say, Lord Jesus, help me? Fussy is a human problem. We've all got it. Will you say, Lord Jesus, help me? Switch my focus to you and your kingdom, show me from your perspective what is the main thing so you can have a fuss-free life and indestructible joy grounded in the things that can never be taken away. I like the way the old hymn puts it, Jesus, you be my vision, Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art, thou and thou only, first in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure, Thou art. Put your heart there, and you'll have joy. So, Holy Spirit, we can't do it on our own. We are prone to focus on the wrong things. So switch our attention to Jesus and his kingdom so we can have joy and we will be grateful people. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.